How often are you using technology every day? Maybe an easier question to answer is, how many hours in the day are you not using technology? Between our phones and scrolling on social media and checking emails on the toilet, or using our computers for work, whether that be building your business and chatting with clients or working your nine to five job. Now more than ever, we are literally tied to our technology. Just think of how many Zoom family birthdays and celebrations and holidays you've had over the last couple of years. Technology isn't going anywhere and our screens and devices aren't either. This is really the future and this is how we all work and connect. But at the same time, what is the cost of being on these screens day in and day out? Do you even know what it feels like to have a moment of silence alone? I mean, I stand in line at the grocery store and I see every single person on their phone. You walk into the dentist's office, everyone's face down. No one even looks up because everyone is scrolling their phone. What would it be like to create more space away from technology and away from screens? And what would that mean for not only our business, but our lives? And how would that feed our soul and our innate deep desires in this human experience? I'm excited to share with you a special guest who is passionate about helping people make space in their world for the things that really matter. Daniel is a professional speaker, a productivity trainer, and strengths coach who addresses digital overload from numerous perspectives. He's also written a book called Space Maker, How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly in the Digital Age, and it won Best Personal Development Book in Australia in 2021, which is amazing. It's a manifesto to help us live a happier, healthier, and more productive life by unplugging from technology as a habit. Whether you're feeling completely burnt out with all of the technology these days, or you're simply looking for how to create healthy habits that help you unplug and spend more time in space connecting in the present moment, this episode is for you. So let's dive in. Ready to turn your passion for helping others into a thriving, profitable dream business and career? Well, you're in the right place, my friend. Welcome to the Magnetic Business Podcast. I'm on a mission to make starting your own online service business feel straightforward and simple so you can skip past the months or years of struggling and second guessing. Join me, your host, Lexi Sparrow, as I take big business ideas and break them down into actionable mini trainings, step-by-step strategies, and share with you honest conversations about the early days of entrepreneurship and interviews with guest experts. Calling all nutritionists, consultants, life coaches, healers, and dreamers, this show is for you. Let's get started building your magnetic business. Hey, Daniel, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Lexi. We were just chatting before we hit record, and it's making me even more excited to jump into this episode because I feel that the overarching theme and the stories that we're going to talk about, those 
you know, beliefs, limiting beliefs around our time and how we use technology in our business. And all of this is something that comes up over and over and over again for new coaches. And that's, I need to use technology. I need to be online. I need to get in that digital space type of world to start and run my business. But at the same time, I want to build a business that allows for more freedom when I'm not on the computer or in front Mm. of a screen. So I'm really interested to hear all of your amazing wisdom today, but just to kind of kick us off and get the audience to know a little bit more about you, how did you really get started teaching all of this? Can you tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. So I, I never really set out to be an entrepreneur or to start a business. It kind of happened by accident. And you know, now I certainly am an entrepreneur and I start lots of things. But uh, I originally trained as a physiotherapist. So I, again, in Australia and worked around the world uh, with clients, you know, treating outpatients and helping them with their musculoskeletal issues and doing rehab with older people. And I liked that for a while, but it didn't quite fit me completely. And I ended up leading and managing a health service. So leading multiple physiotherapy sites. And that was a lot better. But uh, through that process, I just started to realize how much I hadn't been taught about management and leadership, particularly around just the basic stuff like how do you get your inbox to zero every day? How might you organize all the complexity across work and life using an online to-do list? And I started to become passionate about personal productivity because I saw how much it changed my work and how much it would impact the lives of people around me that I worked with. And so I started to train them and coach them. And we ended up launching this course called Email Ninja. And it was literally off the side of my desk. So uh, we went to a training group and said, you know, we're, we're two unskilled trainers, but we know how to get your inbox to zero. And would you run this course called Email Ninja? And they, they said, if you get eight people register, then we'll run the course, which was great. And we got exactly eight people to register. Uh, it, was, it was like right on the line. And then Email Ninja was birthed. And I mean, 10 years later, I have, have uh, well, 20,000 students globally on Email Ninja. So, you know, that, that obviously ended up being a successful course to help people with their email. But I ended up in this situation where I had this real job and it was safe and secure, but I also had this passion project, which ended up becoming my business space makers. And I didn't know what to do about it. And um, I remember two particular moments in my life. Uh, actually, first, it, it, it actually happened with a bit of burnout. I, I was so busy, as is so common when you start a business, and also do a real job on the side that I started to get breathing problems. And I had young kids at the time. And I started to be breathless when I was reading books to my kids or just even sitting around the dinner table. And that was a stress response to being too busy. So that was a real wake up call for me. And I knew I had to make a hard decision, but it was terrifying because I made no money from business. It was just a hobby business. And I think after the first year, we, uh, I think we, we took our wives, um, it's a partnership business. So we took our wives out for a meal on the business. That was our entire income for that first year. <laughs> and uh, so my real income was being a physiotherapist. And there were two conversations that helped me dive completely into business. Uh, and one was I chatted with my physiotherapy manager, the, the person above me. And she said, look, I can see your heart's not in this like it was and that you're heading into business. Uh, but we really don't want to lose your skills. So if you wanted, you could work one or two days a week, keep your permanency, keep earning lots of money, and then you'll be safe and secure 
should you ever need it and the business fails. And that's, that was really beautiful. And I really appreciated that. But in my gut, I had this terrible, like strong reaction where I thought, wow, I, I don't want to be safe and secure. I actually want to live life to its full. And, and I knew that the, the only reason I would stick around with this job was because, uh, because I was terrified of having no money and, and the lifestyle that it would involve. And so for me, that was actually, it had the opposite effect and it actually thrust me out into business. Uh, and that about a week later, I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine who runs a successful consulting business. And I said, ah, oh, I, I was at dinner and I said, guess what, Pete, I've made a decision. I'm going to leave my secure job and start full-time in, in business. And he looked me in the eye and he said, that would be foolish. <laughs> and it was like the opposite I expected of him. And, and, uh, and that was a real wake up call. So he was basically saying, you're going to be broke. It's going to be super tough. There's so many hours involved in starting something. Uh, he actually said, you know, you really should actually have a, a small paid gig on the side while you build your business because you do have a family. And so with, with those two pieces of kind of information in my head and my heart, I, I ended up just like removing myself from permanent my permanent role because it was a golden cage and I knew it would always draw me back but at the same time I picked up one or two days casual work so I had this income stream and then I dived into business so that's a bit of my story if that helps Mm, that's amazing. Cause I feel like so many people can probably relate to that as well. Either they're wanting to do that transition. Like you're talking about where you're, you've got one giant foot still in the door of the, you know, the, the career job that you thought you were going to have or the, the cushiony salary or, but it's really that cage, right? It's really what's holding us back. But at the mm. same time, we have to be completely realistic and we're not just going to quit everything and go, okay, I'm going to start my business from scratch. And, you know, unless you've saved up enough in the beginning of your business, I think a lot of people who are listening are in that in-between as well, where they're either trying to figure out how they can get another part-time job to get one foot out of that nine to five life, or they're looking to transition. So I think so many people will relate to that. And also mm-hmm. you talked about burnout as well. And I find that that is something that happens again. Maybe this is an assumption because these are a lot of the coaches that I see, but I feel like it happens a lot with people in the health and wellness space, which is kind of funny because we're supposed to know better. And I'm doing air quotes here because <laughs> we, we see this all the time, right? We help people with their health and we know about the body and we know, you know, about healthy habits. And yet we kind of are working ourselves into the ground. And so I'd be interested what your thoughts are on that in terms of mm. productivity. Like, is it a productivity issue or is it like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So look, I, I mean, I might go back if that's okay. And just mention totally. one thing that I, I thought of when you were speaking uh, in terms of the saving for uh, launching into a business. One of the strategies I, I heard about was a, a tripwire. And so I saved $10,000 Australian, which is not enormous, but it's enough to get me by for a bit. And uh, my wife and I decided that would be our tripwire. If we spent that and then spent $10,000 on our, like from our mortgage savings, then no matter how much I was enjoying the business and no matter how much I wanted to continue, that would be the tripwire to say it's not working. And so we wanted to put a preset wire that if I tripped over it in the future, I would realize um, it's time to actually seriously reassess this because with business, you put so much energy and time into it and 
potentially resources as well that it, you always feel that I've if I just go a bit more it'll be a bit more successful and and so it was helpful to have that kind of preloaded switch to say this is actually my sensible self is saying this is when it's no longer working and I never hit that trip wire I'm very grateful for that but that was one strategy that was useful mm. uh, in terms of the question about healthcare professionals not caring for their health I think from my experience, and I can only really speak about allied health and the medical field, not not health as a broad uh, profession, but I've found that often people enter health because they're very empathetic or compassionate people, and they're people people. They like helping others, and the irony is that those people tend that that type of personality type tends to not care for oneself as much as they should. So they'll care for others but they're not good at actually setting healthy boundaries and rhythms and patterns for their own health. Uh, it's almost like I'm also a Clifton strength coach or a strength finder coach. And the definition of a strength, according to Gallup, is that uh, you're using your talents in a way that is good for yourself and good for others. And if ever it's good for others and not yourself or yourself and not others, then it's not, not yet a strength. And I, so I think that relates in the sense of health and well-being has to be about uh, caring for those who need it outside of yourself, your clients, uh, but it also has to involve your family. It has to involve yourself and it needs to involve yourself and your family and those close to you right from the start. You can't say I'm going to work 70 hours a week, uh, ignore my health, ignore my relationships for the first three years, get a business up and running, and then start to consider how you might care for yourself. It just doesn't really work that way. Uh, no doubt you have to work harder in the first few years, but you can't neglect the patterns that lead to life from the start. Otherwise, you'll end up having potentially a successful business that you hate because it destroyed your marriage, it destroyed your health, or you just became a person that you never wanted to become through that pattern of overwork and exhaustion. Mm, I love that perspective. And I totally agree. I think if we're building our business on foundations that are unsustainable or you know, we say, oh, I'm only going to work 70 hours for the first six months. But if that 70 hours becomes your routine or your pattern, or you haven't built those healthy boundaries, all of a sudden that 70 hours is like your normal. That's what's sustaining your business. And so that's obviously not our end goal. If we want more freedom or more, you know, space to do other things other than our job and our business. So mm -hmm. I love that perspective. Now we're definitely here to talk about technology, because technology in that digital age is obviously something that everyone listening is consuming, is using to run their business or is hoping to use to run their business. But can you tell us a little bit about how productivity and technology relate? Because I know that you said you were doing that email course. That's kind of where everything started is that productivity piece. So can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So look, for my life, I use technology all the time. I mean, we're talking on the other side of the world using Zoom, which I think is fantastic. And half of my clients now, well, more than half of my clients aren't anywhere near where I live. So I'm so grateful for technology and I use it constantly for email marketing, for newsletters, for communication. So I, like many of your uh, listeners, I'm sure uh, they're on screens all the time for work and also for life as well. But I, I started to look at the clients that I was coaching executives and small business owners. And I noticed that there were, there were people who were really productive and seemed to have a good lifestyle and 
and it's because they knew how to use technology well. But then there was a large group and a growing group of people who use technology all the time and they seem to know how to use it well, but they're just, they're just terrible at business or terrible at life. They're just exhausted. They're frantic. They, you can see it. You can see the kind of uh, adrenaline running through the way they talk. They're just too fast and, and scattered and, and distracted. And so, so they're, they're working hard, but not necessarily making progress and not someone that others would want to be coached by or led by because of their personal habits. And so I started to ask, what's the relationship between technology and productivity? And I realized that actually it's not linear. If you mapped out, imagine a graph between technology and productivity, uh, it's not linear. It's not like more technology makes you more productive. You certainly need technology and tech skills and tech savvy to get highly productive to start with, but then you plateau. Imagine a graph that's plateauing and then actually reversing. So it's an upside down U. Uh, and, and this is exactly what happens that you, you hit this plateau where more technology doesn't necessarily make you more productive. And then if you keep going, if you reach for your phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night, uh, if you're scanning whatever, you know, your Gmail on the toilet, if, if, you're, if you can't take your phone away from you, even when you're meant to be spending time with your children or, or um, when you're checking it as you walk down the street, you know, there, there comes this point where you, your brain changes and you become wired and tired and distracted. You're, you're multitasking. You end up with what we call digital overload. And that digital overload actually means that you're less happy, uh, you're less healthy from the research. And ironically, you end up being far less productive over time. And so it's completely counterintuitive. But post-COVID, because we've all had to migrate more and more online just to do life, particularly in lockdown, I think all of culture has slid to the right-hand side of that curve, whereby most of us are experiencing some form of digital overload. You might call it Zoom fatigue, but it's much bigger than that. Uh, it, we're experiencing this sense that our humanity is being lost. We're losing the ability to sit in silence or just read a book or enjoy our own thoughts without feeling like we need to gravitate towards checking something online. Uh, and that, that's removing something about who we are and the, the, the deep, wonderful humanity of what it looks like to be offline. So uh, those symptoms are worth recognizing in yourself and creating patterns deliberately where you unplug and unwind. And th these are new productivity skills. So I've always taught the productivity skills on the left side of the curve, how to get your inbox to zero, how to use digital technology to build your business. So that's, that's using tech to get productive. But now we need space-making skills. I would say that they're pace-making skills. These are space-making skills where, uh, where we are deliberately creating patterns to unplug from technology as a rhythm in and around using tech all the time to return to that productive middle from a place of overuse. D does that make sense, Lexi? Yeah, it really does. And for some reason, I have this picture of, you know, that feeling when you're sitting and you're trying to be still and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I need to check my phone and you check your mm. phone. You're like, I don't even know why I'm doing that. Or you're in line somewhere and during the <laughs> pandemic, right? You don't see anybody's faces. Everyone's got masks on and shields on. You're in line. Every single person is scrolling their phone because we have trained our brains. It sounds like to like, that's our go-to. Let me look at that screen. Let me check that next thing. Let me, and it becomes that pattern. And what you kind of described is something that's so interesting because I personally love systems and productivity. I love working efficiently. I love 
not just saving time, but really using your time wisely with those productivity tips. But I love how you painted the picture. If we swing to the other side of the curve, if we add too much of this technology and hacks and this and that, and, you know, systems and subscriptions, all of a sudden it's like our brain hits that overload and it's too much. And we're actually no longer productive at all. So I thought that made so much sense and is a really amazing picture that you painted. So my question is, how do we figure out where we are? Is there a system or an audit or even questions we can ask ourselves to check in where we are on that curve? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. that's a great question. And again, I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's funny. I like systems and processes just like you. I mean, I'm a time management or productivity consultant, but what I've realized is we need systems to unplug it. It's almost like we think that we'll be able to rest uh, or that we'll be able to find space in life as a default, but we have to really work on the skills to make work happen. And yet I would say it's the opposite in our culture. We, that's why I call them space-making habits. We actually need systems to discipline ourselves to actually live a life that's unplugged because the assumption now is that you'll be almost always online unless you deliberately plan and design that into your life otherwise. Does, does that make sense? So it's taking the same system thinking and going the other way. Uh, but to ask, answer your specific question, there's a few ways to approach it. I mean, in healthcare, there's a pretty simple test about whether someone's depressed. You ask them, do you think you're depressed? And if someone says yes, there's a large, like, there's a large likelihood that they're suffering from depression. Okay, it's, it's been shown to be a simple test. And I would say, if I would say, I would say it's very similar, probably to this. Do you feel overloaded by technology? Are you unhappy with how long, you're, how often you're online? If the answer is yes, you you're probably struggling with digital over, over, overuse. Does that make sense? Totally. Uh, um, there's other, obviously, other symptoms and tests. Um, St. Ignatius always said, you know, remove the things that, uh, that you think are most dear to your heart and then examine your reactions, your heart. And I think that's a classic for technology. So my test is turn off your phone, your laptop, your screens, and have a 24-hour period on a weekend where you are completely unplugged. No, no devices, no internet use whatsoever, and then experience your reactions. Uh, if you're getting palpitations right now, just I was the just going to say that. I'm yeah, sure there's just quite the a few I- people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've just you've just lost some of your listeners from heart attacks. Like, so I mean, if 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 that idea itself completely freaks you out, that you could live a human ex- existence, experience a day without technology, well, then I guarantee you're in digital overuse. But but uh, the experience will help you test the loves and longings of your heart. Uh, it'll, but it'll also help you to examine why you're reacting the way you are. Because really, we, we need to start with digital awareness. And I start my book actually talking a lot about the paradigm and relationship we have with the online world. Because unless we recognize we have a relationship with tech, that that relationship came from somewhere, that it's built on cultural stories uh, and and narratives that actually aren't necessarily by design, but we've adopted these stories that then lead to particular behaviours, like not being able to have a day without a phone, uh, unless we recognise the the impact of uh, internet practice on our brain. I, I write a lot about neuroplasticity and about how nine to twelve hours of internet practice a day, which is the average American kind of uh, practicing of the internet. Uh, how, how that would change you in a, in a way that if you practice the piano or an instrument nine to 12 hours a day, your brain would change and your whole worldview would change. You'd be incredible at instruments, 
we are practicing the internet from a neurological perspective. So we need to change our paradigm before we can then shift the simple practices that give us more space and help us to live well and be more productive in and around building a business. Mm, so it's really just recognizing that there is a problem, right? Or that there that something yeah. needs to change and addressing where it came from. Like you said, that this is... Mm. This is a part of our society. Clearly, after the last few years, it's not going anywhere. But just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. And I know a lot of my listeners have that same sort of mantra with the clients that they work with in health, right? Just because it's something is common doesn't mean it's normal or doesn't mean that it's not something that we want to address. So how do we even begin to either learn these new unplugged skills or could you share some of them with us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I coach leaders, I, I often, and I, I see digital overuse, this kind of exhaustion from always being online, always working. Uh, I, I get them to start by not examining how they want their business to run, but to, to write down what their ideal lifestyle is. And it, it always comes back with the same things. I want more time with my kids and I want to be present. Uh, I want to be able to have more space to do things that are actually joyful in my life. And they're almost always unplugged. It's not like I want more computer gaming or I want more time <laughs> on Netflix. It's, it's never that stuff. It's I want to be able to walk and ride a bike and play an instrument and bake a cake. You know, I want to do the human pursuits. I want to, I want to pray. I want to read. I want to, I want to examine my spirituality and my values at a deeper level. Uh, and all of that stuff requires space away from a screen. You just cannot do it with your hand on your phone. And so uh, I, I can't even remember where, why I started with that. I suppose the sense is, you know, start by working out what your lifestyle, your ideal lifestyle could or should be, and then start to work out what type of unplugging habits might I require in order to start that journey in a habitual way not just a one-off type thing, like, you know, let's go cold turkey for a week and or, or travel to, you know, the other side of the world for this massive holiday. I mean, I'm talking about very small practical steps that can shift the way you live and work uh, by unplugging from technology. Uh, so, so practically, uh, I shape the book. At the end of the book, I talk about the practices and there's a whole heap of practices, um, seven main ones, but they're, they're shaped around annual rhythms, uh, weekly rhythms and daily rhythms, because that's how I see productivity generally, that they're, they're habitual rhythms that you put into your life with different perspectives. But these are about unplugging rather than, you know, plugging in. Uh, and so, look, the daily ones are probably the simplest for, for your audience. Um, and there's a number that I talk about, and they're all called the daily pause. Uh, it's based on a research study from the University of Virginia where uh, uh, Timothy Wilson and his team put people in a room for six to 15 minutes without a phone and said, enjoy or think about your own thoughts. And most people found it so painful that they preferred to give themselves painful electric shocks rather than sit for six to 15 minutes and think their own thoughts. So oh that's, my goodness. That's, I know it's an amazing study. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Wow. I don't know how they got ethics approval to start yeah. electrocuting people. But it shows that we are so habitually trained to reach for stimulation and get that mm. dopamine hit that we've lost the ability to simply be. Uh, and yet anxiety and worry and all these kind of things where you live other people's lives and other people's scripts rather than know yourself and know your own life, that happens when you have no space. So, so to create daily pauses of you know 6 to 15 minutes or 30 minutes every day, uh, I'd say some of the, the really game-changing 
uh, research-based kind of tips and tricks. One would be to have um, a digital free meal. So if, if you live alone, you can still do this. It's still helpful. But if you have flatmates, uh, if you have family, particularly with kids, it's a game changer to have one meal a day, usually dinner, usually around a table where you're not near a screen. You, know, you don't bring your dinner around the couch. Uh, you, you eat somewhere separate and you spend it together talking. The research just for that digital free meal, that half an hour, 45 minute space each day is just incredible. Um, it increases the numeracy and literacy of young children. That's almost the, it's the second most important thing you can do for their reading and writing after reading them physical books. Uh, it increases the health and well-being of teenagers as they head into adulthood. So 12-year-old girls who eat regularly with their parents uh, without a screen and just talk, they end up with better college entrance scores, less teen pregnancies, less drug addictions. They have um, better, less debt when they're adults. They have better mental health outcomes long-term with longitudinal follow-up. And this, this research has been followed up in a number of ways. So if you want to transform your life and the life of your kids, well, then just eat a meal once a day without your phone. So that's simple. Do you know what I mean? It's possible. Um, and, and just talk. And there's even questions in the book if you're not sure how to start conversations with, let's say, a teen in your family. Uh, so that's one daily pause. Another daily pause is to start and end the day without a phone. You've probably heard this, but it really, really is important to charge your phones and devices outside of your bedroom and have you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the start of the day and at the end of the day where you think your own thoughts rather mm. than someone else's thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's such a bad practice to reach for your phone to turn off the alarm clock and then open Instagram or TikTok or, you know, Google, Gmail, whatever it is that, that drives your loves and longings, your search for significance. Uh, and, and when you open that, you know, like, and when I say that, you know, that you find your meaning through what you achieve or through what other people think about you or, um, or being connected with others, it, it sets you on a trajectory, which is often negative uh, and, it, and it's often anxiety provoking. And uh, at the very least, it's a trajectory where you're filling your mind with other people's thoughts and information from the world around you before you've even processed what's happened in your own brain that night. And so to pray or to meditate, to think about the day, to just, to just be, that, that is so important to start the day in order to then make sense of and prioritize all the other stuff that hits you each day. And, and to finish the day by you know, just reflecting on your day, reading a physical book, uh, letting your brain slow down, not even just for the blue light and sleep like nature of trying to get to bed. But um, you know, I've noticed that a lot of the time, partners just sit in bed. I certainly was doing this with my wife where we're just scrolling through different things. She's playing games. I'm looking at Gmail or whatever. Uh, and, and then we go to bed. I'm like, we have more of a relationship with our phone uh, and with the shareholder of Silicon Valley tech companies than we do with <laughs> our own partner. Yeah. Like, where did pillow talk go? You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And where's the intimacy? And of course, we're not making love as much as we used to because we're making love to our phones. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, uh, it, so, so it's a simple practice. Take a pause at the start and the end of the day. Uh, have a daily meal. Uh, the last one I'd probably say, and there's lots of tips in the book for daily practices and daily pauses, but uh, I'd say exercise without technology, without music, uh, not every day. It's great to listen to podcasts, especially yours, of course, Lexi, but uh, <laughs> we're filling our minds so much with stuff, but we don't give ourselves the space to process what it means. 
And wisdom requires that we take the information in the world around us and we work out what fits us and what doesn't. Uh, You never have the moral convictions to truly do brave and bold decisions in life if you never have the space to process the information you're listening to and actually own it or to learn to think your own thoughts or simply just be and enjoy the silence, um, to pay attention to nature, to, to enjoy the experience and the moment without having to fill yourself up with someone other, some other musical, some other voice. Uh, and so train your brain to learn to enjoy yourself and to think through the data of your life so that you don't end up with this outside in life where you look at everything looks good on the outside, but inside you're racked with anxiety and you don't know who you are and you don't know why you exist or where you're going. That will only come if you make space to really think deeply and to be someone who doesn't need to be always stimulated. Does that make sense? Yes. You put that so beautifully and your voice is so calming as well. It like encourages me to go meditate in the morning and like have that inner calm and that peace because the, the juxtaposition there is like when you wake up in the morning and you've got a million emails from work or clients, and then, you know, you're checking Instagram and no one's like that last post, or you have a bunch of spam emails and you start comparing yourself to somebody else. And you haven't even gotten out of bed yet. Your feet have not even hit the floor and your brain is already working on overdrive. And I know all of my nutritionists who are listening to this, thinking of cortisol levels and just the effects of even that at the very beginning of your day. And I've definitely had periods of my life where I've challenged myself to keep the phone out of the bedroom. You know, I'm not going to check it until I do my daily routine. And it's really tough at the beginning. And then you start to really crave it. And Mm -hmm. this is a great reminder for myself too, that I need to get back into that. And that sometimes these, we have great intentions and these things just creep back in, right? Especially if you have a partner who's using their phone in bed or something like that. But this is an amazing reminder for me um, personally, just selfishly. But I think those two simple things, having a meal without screens and from a nutrition perspective, it also helps you promote really healthy digestive systems. So your brain is actually able to focus on what you're eating and properly prepare your body for that meal. We tend to eat slower when we have conversations, which is better for digestion. So just even from a nutrition perspective, an amazing thing to focus on like screen-free eating. And then that simple tip of, could you just leave your phone out of the bedroom and charge it somewhere else? And maybe the challenge is, you know, how many days in a row could you do that? Or could you even just start simple by saying Monday to Friday, I keep it out of the bedroom or something like that. Right. Absolutely. Small steps, really small steps. If you have a little bit of space, then you start to, you start to confront, confront that idea that actually I don't know how to be alone or I don't know how to be still. And, and then, but once you move through that, I think you described it really beautifully. Like it's, it's really hard to do something as simple as not end the day with your phone. It's actually really hard because we have this with these beliefs and these paradigms and these stories that lead us to be constantly connected and, and there's also the addictive design of the tools itself. But, um, but when we actually make that space, it, it starts being hard like any discipline. Uh, spiritual disciplines are always hard. Uh, exercise is always hard. Eating well is always hard. But eventually your body and your brain changes to delight in those nutritious foods or that run uh, or the fresh air that comes from being outside. And 
rather than it being painful and difficult every day, it's what you long to do. But you have to go through that painful transition of, um, I'm a cyborg. I'm always online. I'm a half human, <laughs> half person. Uh, Elon Musk said, you know, we're all cyborgs now. To, to actually, okay, I'm going to disconnect sometimes in my life to broaden the experience of my humanity. And that's really hard because it means I think my own thoughts and I'm experiencing all these emotions I haven't felt for a while. And then you get to the other side and I'm like, oh, wow, I can sit and look at a tree and see it moving in the wind and just be enough and to love that. You know, I, I have the ability to to have a conversation with my kids and not just constantly think about how many hearts are on Instagram right now. Like your brain will change because uh, you can rechange your brain back again. That's what neuroplasticity does. But we, we have to go through that pain process first. Uh, and it's worth doing because it's worth being truly human. It's, it's worth living a rich and healthy and vibrant life. And some of that requires time away from a screen. And it may be a bit of a withdrawal painful process, right? When we're so <laughs> addicted to it. But I think, again, going back to the very beginning when you said like the paradigm shift, we need to actually have that mental mindset shift of knowing, okay, you know what, maybe I am a bit addicted. Maybe this is going to be, you know, a kind of a withdrawal like effect where it's going to be painful. I'm going to get triggered. My brain is literally going to tell me check that thing or go to that thing. Cause it, I, it's so used to doing that same pattern. So almost kind of setting ourselves up to expect that, but seeing that pattern and then going, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I recognize that my reaction is to grab my phone. I'm going to see how long I can wait until I, I grab it. Or I'm going to see if I could not grab it at all and starting really, really slow. And it sounds like just being really kind and honest with ourselves that this is a process and that again, technology is not going anywhere. So these are skills that we're developing for the rest of our lives. And like you mentioned, we're passing these on to our children as well. I think of, you know, teenagers now where they must wake up and they're on their phones 24 seven. And what a different experience my high school experience would have been with that. So we need to also pass these skills on to our clients and have them pass it on to, you know, their loved ones as well. So what a beautiful message that you're sharing with us. Mm, no, thank you so much for that. And I think it does come down to, we have a relationship with technology. So I, I certainly don't have it all together. I mean, I run a digital business. I am online a ridiculous amount of time and I'm I'm really I really value technology. So my assumption is that my world is almost always online, but I have to take time out to really be human. And that relationship with technology is a bit like my relationship with my family and my friends and my wife, that there are times when I'm loving it and there's times when I'm hating it. <laughs> and uh, and I need to continually assess how that relationship is going and whether it's healthy or whether it's codependent, whether or not I'm contributing in a healthy way with that relationship or whether that relationship is drawing something of my humanity out of me. And uh, so I suppose my encouragement is you'll have times where you stuff up and times where this is really not working. My phone's back in the, in the bedroom. I'm watching way too much Netflix or whatever it is, you know, or I'm just, I'm just working all the time and I, I don't have the ability to stop and trust that it's okay to rest. But, but that's okay. I mean, this is a journey. And I finished the book really by saying that it's that wrestle with space and time and that wrestle with wanting to really live a, a wholesome and healthy life 
that very wrestle is what's built my character and allowed me to be who I am. And in the pain and the struggle of not having enough time, that's allowed me to examine my spirituality. It's, it's allowed me to know my deepest values. It's allowed me to know why I really, who I really care about and why I want to spend time with them. And so there's, there's beauty in the wrestle and there's wonder in the imperfection. So don't feel like it's just a, a lost battle. Uh, embrace the challenge and learn how to recalibrate that relationship one small habit at a time. I want to go back to something that you'd mentioned earlier in the show that kind of relates to what you just said. And that is you ask your clients, you know, really, what do they want to create more space for? What types of activities, whether it's a bike ride with the kids every evening or more time to get in nature or whatever it is, you ask them that question and it's almost like we really need to start with that in our weekly scheduling or timelines, you know, like figure out what those things are that we want to have more time with and put those in at the beginning of the week, so to speak, or even if it's just a mental calendar of those are things that I put in first versus what we tend to do, which is stick them in at the very last or even worse, try to just fit them in. And we all know if you've done any sort of productivity training, you can never really fit in everything that you want in the tiny little pieces of of your day, right? The in-betweens. So um, that's just one thought that I had, but is that something that you recommend, like kind of starting with, with those bigger things that you want to have time for and building around that, or does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. In fact, I think, I mean, I, I don't think you've read my book yet, but you've pretty much summarized why I wrote my book. <laughs> I mean, I called it space maker because it's not, and, and while it's a lot about technology, the heart isn't technology. It's about putting the first things first. It's about making space in this wonderful world, which is so cluttered and distracted and complex and realizing that you will never get everything done. You'll never be able to achieve everything you need to do, let alone everything you'd like to do. So what are the things that are really, really important? Uh, and and for, for many people, I believe it's actually concrete, deep relationships that are in person. And there's lots of research that suggests that there's different, a big difference in in-person relationships versus online ones. Uh, it's, it's, t- and that includes family and, and children. I mean, it's typically spirituality. So silence, solitude, uh, examining the inner life. It's typically rest and, uh, and, and really deep rest. And that doesn't mean inactive rest. It can often mean rest by riding a bike or enjoying the outdoors or pursuing a craft or learning an instrument. The, the things that we need to make space for are almost always offline or certainly done differently than how we do them online. And so my heartbeat is exactly what you've said, to, to know your lifestyle, to know what really matters, to put that in first, make space as a habit by unplugging, unwinding, and, uh, and trusting that the business, the work, the activities will then flow around those spaces. Uh, they will take up the majority of your time I'm not saying that we suddenly, you know, have large holidays and and spend all of our time just I don't know, you know, drinking coffee by ourselves, but but that what comes first must be space and self and relationships and uh, faith or you know whatever is really important to you that must come first even as you grow your business and then and then the business will be one that you love. 
Just to wrap us up, I know that you have a free digital Sabbath guide. Can you speak a little bit about that? I know it's a free chapter from your book, right? Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah. So look, the digital Sabbath is the hardest of all the practices, uh, but it is also by far the most life-giving. And I call it the weekly day of rest because Sabbath, you don't have to be religious to do this weekly day of rest, but it is basically recognizing that if, if technology is what you do for work, then there's deep value in having a full 24-hour day a week where you don't work. And that means for many of us, we're not online. <laughs> so uh, you know how I said you should have an experiment and turn off your phone for a day yeah. just once? Well, the digital Sabbath is doing it every week. Uh, and so I have uh, from Friday night to Saturday night, I don't use my phone. It goes off. Uh, I have uh, a plan for how to rest uh, with my family and myself. I've thought through practically what it means to work and what it means to rest because most of us don't really know what rest means at a deep level and how we might do it with others who have different personality types and, and different schedules. And so to plan a day of rest is actually a journey and it takes time, but to have a true day of rest uh, where you're resting in the heart and the head and the soul without technology and investing in a whole lot of pursuits that truly give life once a week away from a screen, where you walk away from that Sabbath day feeling, wow, I just feel so refreshed. And where every time we hit like Friday evening, everyone's like, yay, it's time for our day off, you know, like our real day off. It is a total game changer, uh, when I did my book launch, someone in the crowd asked a question to my wife who was in the crowd and said, is this true? Do you actually take the Sabbath? And she said, honestly, it's, it's the one pattern, the digital Sabbath, the weekly day off is the one pattern that actually holds our lives together because we're both busy. And every day we have this amazing pause that gives us life. Uh, so yes, uh, short story that there is a full chapter in my book about how to plan it because the, the trick is knowing how to design it and how to um, how to prep it and how to lean into that over time. Uh, the chapter itself isn't on the website for free, but I give you a series of videos that I speak you through the ideas. And then there's a worksheet to help you plan a digital Sabbath. You can get that from for free at my website. Amazing. I'll definitely make sure that that is linked in the bio and in, or sorry, in the show notes. Um, I'm just thinking like the dead of winter here in Canada, having no technology for a full day is going to be a challenge, but we're coming into spring here in the Northern hemisphere. So I've got a while to practice. I'll have to circle back in November with you and tell you how that's going. <laughs> yeah. And look, it's, remember, it's not about, I mean, I used to, when I say this to people, I have a day off and you're immediately thinking, oh my gosh, you don't like get messages. How will you check the weather? What will happen with your email? Like you're thinking about all the things you miss out on, but I look at it from the opposite perspective. If I look at my calendar week by week, from the moment I wake up almost to the moment I go to bed, I'm online. Okay. I'm connected Monday to Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, Sunday. Uh, but I get this one day a week with white space and it's free. Like I'm free from work. I'm free from worry. I'm free from want. We play board games. I chainsaw wood because I find that meditative. Uh, we ride bikes. I wake up. We sleep in. Uh, no, I mean, nowadays I'm fairly flexible. I, I will often turn on my phone on at about 11 o'clock and just see if there's any essential text messages. Uh, if I'm walking or somewhere where I might need to contact someone in emergency, I'll put my phone in my bag turned off. So it's not like I'm 
like I'm, I'm not hyper religious or anything about how it works, but I just want to live life to its fullness. And I, I think a day a week without tech is a really good way to do that. So yeah, even in winter, you can enjoy life without tech, but uh, it's a good way to start in summer. I like that idea. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been honestly, such an amazing, um, podcast episode. And again, like I said, selfishly, I feel like the universe puts you in my path (laughs) at this time as well, because these are definitely things that I know I have to work on that I will be passing on to my clients. And of course, all of our listeners will be passing on to their clients. So we will be spreading your message, but if anyone wants to get a copy of your book or work with you or learn more about space makers and what you do, where's the best place to get in touch? Yeah. So look, I'd love you to look at my website. There's a lot of stuff on there. Uh, Spacemakers, plural, .com.au. The AU is for Australia. Uh, We actually have a trainer in Canada as well as in Australia. And so we run productivity training courses. They're usually three to four hours online, how to get your inbox to zero. That's email ninja, but we've got list assassin, priority samurai, uh, making space, which is about digital wellness for teams using this kind of stuff. Uh, And yeah, please, please download the handouts and start this journey of making a bit more space in your own life. Amazing. Thank you again. Thank you so much. It's great to connect with you. And uh, I, I love learning from you as well, Lexi. There's so much your show teaches me. So thank you. Oh, thanks. Wait, before you go, I wanted to say thanks for listening to the Magnetic Business Podcast. You can join the business building conversations over on Instagram at The Magnetic Business Coach. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. We put out new episodes each week. If you're interested in booking a coaching call with me or enrolling in one of my business courses, you can do that directly on the website LexiSparrow.com. And by the way, have you had a chance to leave a review for the podcast yet? Podcast reviews help us connect to more like-minded people just like you, and they help me grow the show. It only takes a few minutes of your time. When you leave a five-star rating with a positive review over on Apple Podcasts for the Magnetic Business Podcast, you are automatically entered to win a 25-minute business breakthrough coaching call with me. Don't forget to email hello at LexiSparrow.com when you do leave a review, because this lets me get in touch with you when your name is pulled in the draw. Just a reminder, your name stays in until you win.